You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, as the ushers are uh, receiving the offering, if you would take your Bibles, look with me to Ephesians chapter 2, or whatever means of technology you may be using to access the Word. As well, all the folks online, you can join us as well. Ephesians chapter 2. You can take the sermon notes and follow along if you would like. As, uh, as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, this past week I was thumbing through a preacher magazine, a pastor magazine, and I, I came across a comic strip that I thought was hilarious, um, maybe the best I've ever seen, at least from my position in this place on the platform, and I thought it really has nothing to do with the sermon, or maybe it does this morning, uh, but I thought, man, I, you, I've got to share this with the congregation. So it, um, I asked the communications department if they would scan it in for me, and they did. So let's look at this comic strip as we start this morning. Your sermon hit close to home. It was perfect for my next door neighbor. <laughs> This is what I want you to do this morning. I want you to turn to the individual next to you and say, this sermon is for me, not for my neighbor. (laughs) Go ahead. This sermon is for me, not for my neighbor. Well, today we're continuing on in uh, in the Waking Dead series that we started last Sunday. As I said last week, we are a movement of the dead coming to life. That's who we are as the church, a movement of the dead coming to life. We're not zombies or zombie-like creatures as played out in the TV series The Walking Dead, but we are those who at one point were dead spiritually, but we've been made alive through Jesus Christ. And what God our Father wants for each of us as believers, as Christ followers, is to live our lives fully alive in Christ. In other words, what God has for you, what God desires for you, is that you thrive, not just survive. That you not just like get by in your faith journey. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan is revealed in God's word is that you would thrive, not just survive. What God wants for us is found in the Greek word zoe. Zoe. The word zoe, the word defined, the Greek word zoe is defined like this. It's a state of one who is possessed of vitality. Possessed of vitality. Or one who's fully alive. We have this word zoe in John 10.10 where Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and have that life in abundance. So the verse could read like this. If you were to look to original Greek text, the original language that the New Testament was written in, Jesus said this, I have come that you might have zoe and have that life in abundance. I've come that you might have vitality of life and have that vitality of life in overflow. So Jesus came for this purpose, that we might live fully alive. That we might live out the fullness of God's design for our lives. So the way's been made, right? God's done His part. Would you agree with that? you got to get on the train with me this morning. The way's been made, right? I mean, God's done His part. He sent His Son into our world to die on a cross, to give His life that we might have life, that we might live our lives fully alive. So God's done His part. Now we have a responsibility to do our part. As I've often said, you're as alive in Jesus Christ as you choose to be. You're as alive in Jesus Christ as you choose to be. You know, I think of our relationship with Jesus kind of like um, 
the faucet at your kitchen sink. So think with me for a moment about your kitchen and the faucet in the sink in the kitchen. Now, no matter the brand of the faucet, every faucet, every kitchen faucet is a valve. And the valve is designed designed as such that you can determine the flow of water from the valve. So you can go to the kitchen sink and you can barely turn the valve on and get a drip. Right? Or you can, you can open the valve a little bit more and get a trickle. Are you with me? Or you can open the valve a little bit more and get a, like a, a small stream of water. Or you can throw the valve wide open and have like this, this free flow of water. At the end of the day, the amount of water is determined by the position of the valve. Who controls the valve? We do, right? The valve doesn't control the valve. The valve only controls the flow of water. We control the position of the valve. We could say the same. We could take that analogy and compare it to our relationship with Christ. And we control the valve. We control the point that we live fully alive in Christ. Now, I'm not saying there's different levels of salvation because there's no such thing as different levels of salvation. It's not like, well, I'm more saved than you are. No. Either you're saved or you're not saved. There's really only two camps. Either this morning you're saved or you're not saved. So there's not different levels of salvation. However, there's different levels of spiritual vitality that we experience in our lives and in our faith journey. And one of the critical keys to living fully alive in Christ is understanding and confidently living out or living in your identity in Christ. See, I believe wholeheartedly that your hope for growth, meaning, and fulfillment as a Christian is based on understanding who you are, specifically your identity in Christ as a child of God. Listen, if you don't know who you are and what's rightfully yours as a child of God, then you can't or you won't live that out. You'll not confidently walk out your identity. You'll always struggle with living fully alive. So when we talk about living fully alive in Jesus, identity... Your identity in Christ as, as a follower of Christ is really critical. Now, several weeks ago, I, I saw someone that I thought I knew. I was looking at them from the back. They were bald-headed. The body build, the stature looked like someone that I knew well. Um, and so I walked up behind them, slapped them on the back, called them by name. The gentleman turned around and looked at me, and it was someone who I'd never met before. You've done that before, right? First thing I felt was embarrassed, like, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Hopefully I just made another friend. <laughs> Hopefully. But then I had to explain to this man what I had to explain, that it was a case of mistaken identity. And I think oftentimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we live with a mistaken identity. Matter of fact, I would happen to believe that there's people here at Grace Covenant and certainly people in the body of Christ at large today who are living with a mistaken identity. And because they don't know who they are in Christ, they're not living their lives fully alive. What is it? It's an identity issue. It's an identity problem. It's a case of mistaken identity. So today we want to spend some some time talking about who are we in Jesus Christ and why is it critical that we confidently live out our true identity. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, looking to your notes, 2 Corinthians 5.17 reads like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, 
the new has come. Would you say that with me? The old has gone, the new has come. Let's say it again. The old has gone, the new has come. So what is the old that's gone? The sins of your past and everything connected to your past. And the sins of the past. That's, that's what's gone. And what's come? The new has come. The new has come is this. It's your new identity in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. See, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were given a new identity. You're still the same you. Your, your physical looks didn't change. We didn't change your name. You're still the same you. But your identity is now determined by Jesus Christ and His provision. So, so you're not who the, who the world says you are. You're not who others say you are. You're defined by God and God alone. And He, did, he identifies you as His own. The old is gone. The new has come. The thing is, though, if you, if you don't know who you are in Christ, then you're vulnerable to other people telling you who you are. Or, or you're vulnerable to allowing your past to define who you are. But the concrete, solid gospel truth is that you are who God says you are, and no one else has a vote in the matter. The truth of God's Word defines who you are. It's critical. It's critical that we understand this. As a matter of fact, Neil Anderson, a, a great book. If you haven't read this book, I would encourage you to pick this book up. It'll be worth your time. It's called Victory Over Darkness by Neil Anderson. And I have this quote in your notes because I thought he said it so well. And again, this comes right out of his book. He says, your understanding of who you are is the critical foundation for your belief structure and your behavior patterns as a Christian. So who you are is critical to your belief structure, what you believe, and your behavior patterns. He goes on to say, next to a knowledge of God, a knowledge of who you are is by far the most important truth you can possess. So understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely essential to your success at living the Christian life. No person, no person can consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with how they perceive themselves. I mean, if you think, if you think of yourself like I'm a no good bum, then you're probably going to live like a what? If you think of yourself like I'm an overcoming child of God, then you're probably going to live like a... So how you see yourself really begins to shape then how you live. How you live out this life that Christ has given you. But here's a challenge. I think it's a challenge that we all have. A challenge that we at least need to be aware of. And it's this. Our true identity in Christ can be distorted by Satan... And if he can distort our our identity, then he can keep us from living fully alive. The scripture, actually Jesus said this, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. The father of lies, the, the, the king of deception. So what does he want to do? One of the ways that Satan limits you in your life, or can limit me in my life, is to seed wrong thinking or to seed a mistaken identity in our thinking process. And if he can get by with getting us to buy into a lie that says we're damaged goods, that we're, we're not lovable, uh, we're a loser. All, listen, all of those things are lies. It's the opposite of what the truth of God's word says about who you are. But if the enemy can seed that mistaken identity in your brain, in your thinking process, then you act out of that thinking process. Now you're living your lives limited rather than 
the faucet wide open. And, and really what it is, is you've believed, you've believed a lie. See, I think if we're not careful, we can be tricked to believe that what others say about us defines who we are. How many of you know everyone has opinions, right? And some people, maybe you have some friends like this. I know I have a couple. Some people like to share their opinions openly. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? And so they have an opinion about who you are and they share who you are. But what others say about you doesn't define who you are. Listen, God has the final word as to who you are. Not what other people say. If we're not careful, we can be tricked to believe that that what we do makes us who we are. Now, your work can be worship to God, but your work, what you do, doesn't define who you are. It's simply what you do. It's not a statement of your identity, but if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in a career path. We're chasing this title. We're chasing this career. And we think that this job identifies who we are. Listen, Grace Covenant Church doesn't identify who I am. I was secure in Christ before I got here, and when I leave, I'll still be secure in Christ. Why? Because my identity is not tied to this church, this title, or this position. It doesn't define who I am. Who I am am is this. I'm a child of God. So what you do doesn't define who you are. You don't want to buy into that church. Here's a third trick that Satan tries to sell us, and it's this. What you possess defines who you are. If you believe that lie, then this is how that works out. You go out and you gather and you gain and you gather and you gain and you gather and you gain. You've got to have more because the more defines who you are. Your identity is tied to what you can hold in your hands. You know the problem with that? What you can hold in your hands can be gone just like that. Then you have an identity crisis. Why? Because you tied your identity to things you could hold in your hand that's temporary, that's not lasting. Your identities can't be in the stuff the stuff you have. If you want to know your true identity, then you have to look to the God who made you and the truth of what His Word declares. If you don't do that, this is what happens. You end up with a flawed identity. A flawed identity. And a flawed identity results in basically three things. A low self-esteem. A flawed identity results in settling for less than what's biblically yours, rightfully yours as a believer. A flawed identity results in a wrong view of, of who you are. That's why this identity issue is so critical when we talk about living our lives fully alive in Christ. As I said earlier, no person, no person can consistently live in a manner that's inconsistent with how they perceive themselves. You must see yourself as a child of God to live like a child of God. So let's look to Ephesians 2 and see what the Apostle Paul wrote about who we were and who we are. Who we were and who we are. That's what he defines here. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Notice verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. But praise God this morning for His grace that saves us, restores us, empowers us, and gives us a new identity. Amen? God's grace to us. What Paul here is writing about, or he really gives us a picture of, like, the before and the after. It's kind of like, how many of you remember the show uh, Extreme Home Makeover? In that show, they would go out and find a home, like an old, ratted out, worn out, run down home, and they would do like the before shot, like this is what the house looks like before we, we began to work. So that you have the before picture, and then they do like this crazy week of work, and then they have the big bus. Remember the big bus in front of the house? And the, it was the line, move that bus. Yeah, some of you remember the show. They would pull the bus away, and here's this new home that's like absolutely stunning. What is it? It's the before and after. And that's what Paul's giving us here. Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what have you had? You've had an extreme identity makeover. An extreme identity makeover. So notice what Paul says here. First, he identifies who we were. Ephesians 2.1 says you were dead in your sins and in your transgressions. So who were you? You were kind of like, not a, a zombie, but you were kind of like a zombie. You were walking around dead. You were spiritually dead. That was the state of our lives before Christ. That's who we were. But praise God, look at verse 4. Praise God that He came to our rescue. The Scripture says because of God's love, He was rich in mercy. What did He do? He sent His Son into our world to die on a cross that we might not only have our sins forgiven, but that you and I might have a new identity. So who we were, we were dead in our sins. God came to our rescue. Notice who we are. Verse 5, Ephesians 2, 5. Scripture says that we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. That's who we are today as believers. What we are alive, we have, been, we have been given life through Jesus Christ. So in this passage of Scripture, Paul's really dealing with identity, who we were, who we are, what's been provided for us. So our identity is found not in the world, not in the things of the world, not in what other people say, but it's really found, our true identity is found in Jesus Christ. So in the, in the time I have left today, I, I want to talk with you specifically about your identity in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Now, the list is quite lengthy, and I don't have time to go over the whole list. Therefore, the communication department, who does a phenomenal job serving our church family, they put together an insert. It's there in your bulletin, and I would encourage you take it home, put it on the refrigerator, put it in your Bible, put it on the dash of your car, put it somewhere where you see it consistently and continually, because oftentimes we live with a mistaken identity. We get deceived. We get off track. And every once in a while, you just need to come back and say, oh, that's what God word, God's Word says about who I am. So that's what that's for, and I hope you'll, you'll put it to use. But for the sake of the time I have left this morning, I want to talk with you really quick about three points of identity. Who are you in Christ? 
What does God's word have to say about who you are? The first is this. You are the righteousness of Jesus Christ free from condemnation. The righteousness of Jesus Christ free from condemnation. Listen, that's not just some nice theological statement. You are the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? It means this. When God the Father looks at you as a believer, if you've received Christ as your Savior, if you're in Christ, when God the Father looks at you, He doesn't see the sin of your past. He doesn't see the, he doesn't see the mess of the reality of your present. How many of you know we still struggle with areas in our lives, right? Come on, get on board with me. You're not that holy and righteous. We still struggle with issues in our life. I struggle with issues in my life. I have areas, this may astound you a bit this morning, but as your pastor, I have areas of sin, fault, and failure in my life. I am still in process. So when God looks at me, what does he see? Does he see the mess and the failures and the stuff and all I'm struggling through and walking through presently in my life? No, you know what he sees? The scripture says he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Christ died, matter of fact, Paul says it like this. He says it so well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. But God made him, being Jesus, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So who, who are we? I'm going to give you the answer. It's the last part of verse 21. We are the righteousness of God. So who are we? We're the righteousness of God. So again, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Your sin, Jesus took your sin and he credited, he imputed righteousness to your account. So he got your sin, we got his righteousness. How many of you know we got the better end of the deal? Who are we? The righteousness of Christ. Have you ever, have you ever taken a, a piece of glass, let's say a, a, a piece of glass that's blue, and kind of looked at the world through the piece of blue glass? The world, like everything you're, you see looking through the blue glass, looks what? Blue. blue. Good answer. You're so smart. <laughs> If I take a piece of red glass and I'm looking at the world through the red glass, then everything looks red. red. You're so sharp this morning. In the same fashion, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, God looks through us, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what He sees is He sees us in all the white holiness of His Son. Think about that. He sees the righteousness of Christ. In our life. So, so, so who are we? Are the righteousness of Christ free from condemnation? Free from condemnation. Romans 8.1 reads like this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. So again, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the scripture's about you. And it's for you. And it says there is now no condemnation. In other words, when God the Father looks at you, there's not a point of condemnation. There's never a point of condemnation from God our Father. That's why we can sing with confidence this song that I so love. You're a good, good Father. One of these days I'm just going to break out and dance and like mess all of you up. Because that song so wrecks me. 
we have a good, good Father who, who does not condemn us. Does He convict us? Absolutely. Why does He convict us? Listen, conviction is always for our good. Conviction is to try to lead us to a right place, to make right decisions. Does God convict us through His Spirit? Yes. Does God condemn us? Absolutely not. Why? Because we are the righteousness of Christ. And for some of you, this is really hard to get your mind around. It's why you've been living with a mistaken identity. Maybe you grew up in a home where you had a controlling father or or maybe a father that was always attacking and ridiculing and condemning. Therefore, you kind of transfer that to God or Father. and, and, And you're kind of thinking like God's sitting on a throne in heaven with a stick waiting to whack you. Listen, that is a wrong picture of who God is. He's not waiting to whack you. He's waiting to welcome you. A huge difference. There is now no condemnation. Why? Because we are the righteousness of Christ. So first statement, who are you? Listen, you're the righteousness of Christ. Free from condemnation. Here's a second identity statement that's critical. If we're going to live our lives fully alive in Christ, it's this. You are an overcomer through Christ Jesus. An overcomer. Listen, you're not the defeated trying to win. Let me say that again. You're not the defeated trying to win. Rather, you're the overcomer processing the reality of the struggles of this life. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory because of what Jesus Christ has provided for you. You're not the underdog struggling to win. Rather, you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. But listen, to live as an overcomer, you have to see yourself as an overcomer. If you see yourself as, oh, I'm a loser, I'm defeated, I'm unloved. If you see yourself that way, then guess what? You're going to live that way. You'll not live as an overcomer. It's a case of mistaken identity. Because what does God's Word say about who you are? God's Word says that you're more than an overcomer. Now, do we always feel that way? On Monday morning, 6 o'clock, when the alarm goes off, do you feel like an overcomer? No. But listen, we can't allow our feelings to identify us as to who we are. Can you listen, listen, you always, always, always have to go back to the truth of God's word. What does God's word say? First John chapter five, verse four reads like this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone, that's kind of all-inclusive, right? Everyone who, who's been born of God. So if you're here today, you've been born of God. If you're here today and you've received Christ as your Savior, then this is what God's Word says about your life, is that you overcome the world. It goes on to say, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then connected to that, here's another verse you might want to jot down. Romans 8, 28 says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. In other words, God's working in every situation, the good situation as well as the bad situation, for your good and your benefit. Why? Because you're more than an overcomer. It goes on in Romans 8, 37 to say, What can separate us from the love of God? And there's this list of things. And you come down to the end of the verse, and the Scripture says this, You're more than a conqueror through Christ. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Is God's Word true? Is it true all the time? Is it true for you? Then what does God say about you? 
in your identity, that you're more than an overcomer. Listen, don't allow Satan or any of his minions or anyone else to tell you that you're anything less. Don't allow them to put a, a label on you like you're damaged goods or you're, you're, you're unlovable or, or you're a loser. No, listen, it's the opposite of what God's Word says. Again, folks, this, this has the final say. This is the final authority. And God's Word says that you, you're more than an overcomer. So you're the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus. Here's the third point of identity that's critical for you to understand. It's this. You're an heir of God and citizen of heaven. Who are you? You're an heir of God and a citizen of heaven. When you responded to God's grace and His salvation, you became a child of God and you became an heir to all that God is and all that God has. It'll take you a while to get your mind around that. But what you are an heir of all that God is and all that God has. Not only did you have an identity transformation, but you also became a citizen of another place, that place being heaven. So although you're presently residing on this earth, what we know today is this earth's not our home, right? We're aliens here. We're, we're like we're just passing through. But we're citizens, citizens of heaven. All right, listen to how the Apostle Paul states this truth. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. Or we could say you're no longer a slave, but a daughter. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And it's important here that we catch what Paul's saying. Notice the contrast. He says, you're no longer a slave. This is who you used to be. This is who you were, but now this is who you are. You're no longer a slave, but now you're a son of God. You're no longer a slave, now you're a daughter of God. Now, how many of you know there's a big difference between being a slave or a son or daughter? Would you agree with that? Just shake your head. I mean, we, we go into quite a list, but let me just give you a short list. I mean, a slave-like has no rights. Where a son or a daughter has, like, unbelievable rights and privileges. A slave like has no future. Their only future is like there's more work to do. Where a son or daughter has a great future. A slave has no right to an inheritance. But a son or daughter has every right to the inheritance. Why? Because we are an heir of God. Think about that. An heir is one who is, is uh, to inherit the goods of, the, of their predecessor. Or they're titled to the inheritance that's been defined to them and for them. So again, think about this. The God who owns it all. There's a scripture in Psalm where God says, hey, the earth and all that's in it's mine. Cattle on a thousand hills is mine. All the gold, all the rubies, all the jewels. God says it's all mine. And get this, you're his son. You're his daughter. You are an heir to all that God is and all that God has. Listen, if you can get your mind around this, it will change how you process life on a day-to-day basis. Who are you? You're a chosen, beloved child of God, and you're heir to all that God is and all that God has. You're a citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. So you're not a nobody. You're not a nobody. Who are you? You, Again, chosen child of God. Folks, here's here's the bottom line summary. And this is so important. You can't live beyond what you believe. You can't live beyond 
what you believe. What you believe will consistently shape the life that you live. That's why it's critical. It's critical that you you know and confidently live out your true identity in Christ. Your true identity is not not, not based on what you do. It's not based on what you possess. But it's, it's really based on who you are in Jesus. As you begin to live out your true identity, then you can live fully alive. Fully alive. You know, there's a there's a fable, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna summarize the fable. Maybe you've heard it before. But the fable is about an eagle that ends up in the chicken pen. There's a farmer who's walking out through the woods and he happens along and finds this eaglet who's fallen out of the safety of the nest on the ground. He can't get the eaglet back in the nest. So he picks the eaglet up and the farmer takes the eaglet home and he puts it in the chicken coop with the chickens. And the eagle grows up with the chickens. Now here's an eagle in the chicken pen, scratching around in the dirt, pecking in the dirt, acting just like a chicken. One day a man comes along and he says to the farmer, what in the world is that eagle doing in the chicken pen with the chickens? The farmer says, hey, he's not an eagle, he's a chicken. Look at him. Scratching the ground, pecking the dirt. He's acting like the chickens. He's a chicken. And the the gentleman, the naturalist, said, no, he's... He's not a chicken. He, he wasn't designed to be in a chicken pen. He, he's an eagle. He was, he was created. He was designed by the Father to, to take to the skies. He says, watch this. He takes the eagle and puts him up on the fence on the chicken pen and says the eagle, fly. As the fable goes, the eagle just went right back down in the chicken pen. He's scratching the dirt like the chickens and he's pecking around the ground like chicken farmer says see i told you he's he's a chicken the guy says no that's not a chicken that's an eagle he was created for more and so this naturalist takes the eagle out up into the mountain ranges away from the farm away from the chicken pen he holds the eagle up on his arm and he points him toward the air and he says soar like you were created to soar and as the fable goes the eagle takes off stretches his wings and begins to live out what he was created to be and do. The lesson from the fable is this. Don't live your life like a chicken when God's created you to be an eagle. Don't live your life with a mistaken identity, scratching around in the earth when God's created you for so much more. Don't allow a mistaken identity to be the lid on your life that's keeping you from living your life fully alive. Jesus Christ came that we might have Zoe, that we might have life and that life in abundance. And for you to find that life, your identity, who you see yourself as, as a Christ follower, is critical. So I challenge you this morning from the fable, again, and don't, don't be satisfied in the chicken pen when God's created you to soar in the heavenlies. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the encouragement and the challenge of your word. God, I thank you today for your love and your rich mercy. God, you loved us so much that you didn't leave us, Lord, to our own demise, but you sent your son into our world, not only that we might be forgiven, but that we might have a new identity. 
that we might be free from the, from the things of the past, and Lord, that we might embrace, Lord, that we might live our lives fully alive in Christ. God, I thank you for making that possible for us. Holy Spirit, help us to live it out. With every eye closed this morning, every head bowed, really quick, possibly you're here this morning and and you would just be honest enough to say, hey, here's an area in my life where I've been living with a mistaken identity. Where I have believed a lie that someone else told me this about me and I've been wearing that label and it's not it's not true as to what God's Word says. Or maybe you've been thinking what you, what you do defines who you are. Maybe you're, you've been thinking what you possess defines who you are. Or maybe there's another point of deception where the, lie, where the enemy has come in and you believed a lie. He's tricked you and you've been living with a mistaken identity. And it's become a lid on your life. If that's you this morning, I, I just want to pray with you and pray for you. That the Holy Spirit would begin a process of transformation in your thinking process. A reshaping of how you think, how you process, that you would see yourself as God's Word defines you. You you would see yourself for who you truly are in Christ. So again, is there anyone, just say, hey, Pastor, pray for me. I've been living with a mistaken identity. Really quick, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, lots of hands. Lots of in the balcony on the main. Lord, I thank you this morning for folks who are just honest enough to say, yeah, I've believed it. I believe the lie. I've been tricked. And I've been living less than because I've had this false identity. Holy Spirit, this morning, I ask that you would begin to reprogram, to reshape, Lord, the thinking process. Lord, for those who raised their hand, who just said, yeah, that's a problem. Lord, I ask by your spirit that you would transform in their minds through the truth of your word, Lord, that they would truly see and understand, Lord, who they are in you, that they would embrace that, Lord, live it out, Lord, to, to experience the fullness of all that you have for them. And Lord, I thank you for your grace, your grace to us that redeems us, that restores us, that, that brings about a new identity in our lives. Holy Spirit, help us to embrace the truth of God's Word and to walk it out in our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.